and welcome to Taxing Matters, your one-stop audio shop for all things tax, brought to you by RPC. My name is Alice Kemp and I will be your guide as we explore the sometimes hostile and ever-changing landscape that is the world of tax law and tax disputes. Taxing Matters brings you a fortnightly roadmap to guide you and your business through this labyrinth. In case any of you miss any crucial information or just want some bedtime reading, there is a full transcript of this and indeed every episode of Taxing Matters on our website at www.rpc.co.uk forward slash taxing matters. Today we're talking about HMRC's power to compel an individual or a business to provide them with information. Here to explain HMRC's powers is Alexis Armitage. Alexis is an associate at RPC's tax disputes team, where she advises on a broad range of litigious matters, some with household names, some with group litigants. Alexis also writes how-tos and indeed how-not-tos for a wide range of publications. And in her spare time, she also raises a one-year-old baby. Alexis, welcome to Taxing Matters. Thank you very much. I'm very happy to be here. Great. So HMRC's information powers, what are they and where are they found? Yes, so HMRC, they have a lot of powers, as we know, uh, one of which is to request information and or documents from a taxpayer or a third party. They can ask for these documents if these documents are reasonably required for the purposes of checking a taxpayer's tax position. This power is contained within Schedule 36 of the Finance Act 2008. So in terms of what what can HMRC ask for, as I've just said, they can ask for information or documents that are reasonably required for the purpose of checking a taxpayer's tax position. The HMRC officer does not have to have evidence that a document will definitely affect a taxpayer's tax position, only that it is reasonably required to carry out a check of their tax position. And the information they can ask for or the documents they can ask for, they include past, present and future liabilities to pay tax. So it's quite wide ranging. There is no condition that HMRC have to ask the taxpayer to provide the information or documents voluntarily before they serve the individual or business with a notice. They can just issue it straight away. Quite often, they usually do request it informally first, and then it's only if the business doesn't provide it for whatever reason that they then issue a formal notice. There isn't any obligation for HMRC to obtain prior judicial approval from the courts to issue such a notice, although they can do. And if they do, actually, it's important to say that if they do seek permission from the court to issue a notice, there is actually no right of appeal against that notice because the court will have considered whether or not the information is reasonably required by HMRC in order to look into a taxpayer's tax position before they gave permission. So the only recourse for a taxpayer who disagrees is to bring a claim for judicial review. So who are these likely to be issued to? What kind of thing might they receive? So um, it's quite wide ranging. So HMRC can issue them to an individual or a business or even a third party if they deem that the information is reasonably required for the purpose of checking somebody's tax position. So, you know, uh, somebody might receive a letter from HMRC on their doorstep that has, you know, we require this, this information and information notice has to be quite clear. It should set out exactly what HMRC are asking for. It usually sets out a time period uh, in which you have to respond. It usually says how they want the material provided. So, for example, HMRC are in recent years now wanting everything electronic because obviously it helps them when they receive it because some of the information they're asking for is, is, is so voluminous that it's easier for them to analyse when they receive it if they, if they receive it electronically, whereas previously everything was provided in hard copy. There is no set time limit for, to respond to an information notice. 
there's no minimum time. It's really just what's reasonable. So it depends on what they're asking for, how much they're asking for, and it will depend on a case-by-case basis of, of when you need to provide it by. So if you've got one of these letters and it has a time frame that you look at and think, ah, I'm never going to be able to comply with that, either because you don't have the information on site or you might need to access it or because it requires it in electronic format and you only have it in paper copy, so someone is going to have to sit there and scan it all through, what can you do in that situation? So I think the best thing to do is uh, whenever you receive a notice like this is to take very early action, look at exactly what they're asking you to do when they're asking you to do it by communication is key when you receive a document like this immediately you probably want to pick up the phone to the hmrc officer that's issued you with the notice explain why you think you may not be able to comply in the time frame and just see what they say see if you come up against a reasonable hmrc officer they they might allow that extra time they might allow you to provide it in a different way that kind of circumvents the need for you to go off and, and spend hours providing it so yeah communication really is is key there So if you look at the information notice itself, and it's got a list of things that you've got to do, what is it that you have to do exactly? So for example, it it depends what they're asking you for, but it could say accounts between certain years. So you'd have to go off and obviously liaise with your accountants and get all of that information together. You'd have to review it all, possibly get your lawyers to check it if you wanted to make sure that what HMRC are asking for is reasonably required in order to check a taxpayer's tax position. And there'd have to be quite a lot of checks going on before you send it over. Obviously, businesses might be a bit concerned about sending over sensitive or privileged information. Is there any ability to restrict what you give HMRC on that basis or any restrictions on what HMRC can do with the information once they've got it? Yeah, um, so there's quite a a long list of what HMRC are not allowed to ask for in information notices. One of the key things, as, you, as you've identified, is any documents that are protected by legal professional privilege. These would be legal advice privilege. So, for example, communications between lawyer and client. Also, litigation privilege. So any communications that came into existence for the dominant purpose of being used in connection with or in contemplation of litigation. Another thing that's just important to point out is that communications between clients and accountants or tax advisors A lot of people often think that they will attract legal professional privilege, but unfortunately they don't. So if the information that you've been discussing with your accountant or tax advisor is deemed to be reasonably required by HMRC for the purposes of checking your tax position or someone else's, it is possible that you may have to hand over certain documents or information in that regard, which can worry a lot of clients. So that's just something to bear in mind. The notice can obviously only ask for what is reasonably required for checking a person's tax position. So when you get the notice, it's important to check the scope of the notice, because if the information in there is not reasonably required for checking yours or someone else's tax position, then there is an opportunity there if you think appropriate to challenge the notice, challenge the scope of it, and if necessary, to lodge an appeal with the tribunal. And if the tribunal agrees with you, the tribunal will vary or set aside the information notice that you've been given. There's also several other situations where HMRC are not really supposed to include this information in the notice. So, for example, personal records, HMRC are not supposed to ask for, so medical records. So one of the things that uh, quite often crops up is bank accounts. So you'll have bank accounts for a small business, but sometimes they don't have separate bank accounts, so they don't have separate accounts between business and personal. They're mixed. 
Now, one of the things that quite a lot of clients come up against is when they get an information notice for access to their personal bank accounts, they obviously want to object. But unfortunately, because the funds are all mixed in together, quite often HMRC are entitled to those documents or information, which obviously can lead to more inquiries in relation to somebody's individual tax return that they may well have avoided or, or was not even necessary. So that's just something to bear in mind. HMRC also can't request information or documents if there is a live appeal going on before the tribunal, because arguably they should have conducted all of their inquiries before they issued a decision that you then appealed. So they can't have like a second bite of the cherry, so to speak. Although we often sometimes do get information notices in during an appeal, which we then obviously appeal those on the basis that there's already an appeal. HMRC can't ask for subjective information or opinion. So they can only ask for facts in terms of information and they can only ask for what's in your possession or power. So obviously, if documents are not within your possession or power, you can't possibly be expected to provide them. Another thing is if the whole of a document originates more than six years before the date of the notice, then they, they have to have the authority of an authorised HMRC officer in order to do that. So what do you mean by that if the whole of the document originates uh, more than six years earlier? So uh, in terms of the whole of a document that was originated six years ago, it would be things like an attendance note of a meeting that that happened six years or more ago. So a complete document was finished six or more years ago, basically. So who can these notices be issued to? Do they have to be for UK residents or is it possible to issue them overseas as well? It is possible to issue them overseas. A recent Court of Appeal case actually allowed HMRC for the first time to issue an information notice to a UK taxpayer who was resident outside the UK in Dubai. So HMRC can do that. And there's evidence that it's kind of going more that way. In previous years, it was really just the UK. But it will be interesting to see in the coming years what they do in that regard. Because it's a Court of Appeal case, and until that's overturned, they've got their authority to do it there. So what are the consequences of not complying with an information notice? So the the consequences of not complying are a £300 fine straight off. And then there's an additional £60 fine for each day that the non-compliance continues. So just to give you an idea, if you got an information notice, uh, the deadline lapsed and then a whole month went by before you noticed it or or dealt with it, you could rack yourself up a fine that was just short of £2,000. So that's quite a lot of money to um, just sort of throw down the drain. And also, there's a further tax geared penalty that might be imposed. So, for example, they might say 15% of whatever tax we allege is due, that's going to be the penalty. So, if the tax due is huge, then you're looking at a potentially huge penalty there. A penalty doesn't arise if the person can satisfy HMRC or the tribunal, if it's an appeal, that there's a reasonable excuse for why you didn't comply and the failure is remedied without unreasonable delay pretty much as soon as the excuse ceases to to exist. Another thing, there's also a penalty for providing inaccurate information. So there's two strands to this. There's um, if the inaccuracy is careless or deliberate. And then the second one is if a person has provided inaccurate information or documents who then later discovers the inaccuracy, but then doesn't take reasonable steps to notify HMRC. So for those two strands, the maximum penalty is £3,000 for each inaccuracy. So First of all, it's important to make sure that the information you give to HMRC is correct to the best of your knowledge. And secondly, if you notice a mistake or some sort of error, to correct it as soon as possible with HMRC to avoid um, getting yourself into that territory. 
So just another thing to bear in mind, if you do provide deliberately false information to HMRC, you can not only get these penalties, but you can also stray into the realms of criminal prosecution and consequences. So that's just another thing to bear in mind. So what are your top tips for how to comply with one of these notices? Yes, um, I've got a few few tips that I can share and I'll be happy to. One thing that to bear in mind is that before um, HMRC issue a formal Schedule 36 notice, they usually send an informal request. So one thing I always say to clients is treat this as a formal request because you've got a real opportunity there to avoid a formal request. Because if you get into a good rapport and communication with HMRC from the very beginning in terms of the informal request, you can kind of scope and shape the information request and document request with HMRC on board. So instead of just receiving a formal notice and then having 30 days to reply and having to deal with all the stress and getting it all together and all of that stuff. So a lot of clients, they'll get an informal request and think, oh, well, it's informal. We don't really need to do anything with that. We'll wait till we get the formal request. My advice would be treat the informal request like the formal request. Anyway, if and when you do get a formal request, take care when it is received because um, HMRC, when they issue these notices, they often go through several different teams before they leave the building. And then inevitably they're sent by second class post. So basically quite often half of the time of the deadline has disappeared before it even hits your desk. So if you had 30 days to respond, we often get clients who come to us with only 15 days left to go. And also when you get a notice, take early action. So don't just ignore it. Don't sit on it and think I've got ages to deal with that. The best thing to do is to speak to whoever you need to within your organisation, get together the relevant teams, start thinking about A, whether what they've asked for is reasonably required, whether or not you can provide it. If you need to go off and get the information from various different people or departments, start that process going. If you think that the information isn't reasonably required, then start thinking about instructing lawyers potentially to challenge the notice for you. All of that takes time. So starting as soon as possible is the way to go. Another thing, check the scope of the notice. I've already said, make sure that what they're asking for is reasonably required. Don't give any more information or documents that you're not obliged to, because this can often lead to further inquiries that either aren't needed or uh, take up more business time than didn't need to do. Document retention and preservation. So as soon as HMRC indicate that they are interested in a particular area of your business or they make inquiries, make sure you keep all relevant documents until the conclusion of those inquiries. It won't be good enough to say, oh, well, actually, we've just got rid of those documents when you actually receive the notice beforehand. Keep a record of everything you give and when you provide it to HMRC, because things can often go missing within HMRC, and you just need to demonstrate, actually, we did give you that on on X date. We did comply with that notice. Keep a record of the searches that you do in case HMRC ask how you did your searches or what material you located or where you looked, quite often that will come up if, for example, one of one of the things HMRC can do in an information notice is actually ask you to prepare a new document that would help them. One of the things they often say with those documents is, okay, how was this document prepared? Who prepared this document? I've mentioned this already, but it's very important. So if you omit something in error, correct your mistake as soon as possible, otherwise penalties can apply. And really, my main sort of tip, I suppose, is to keep a very good communication lines with HMRC, build, try and build up a rapport, because it's very important to have a good relationship with HMRC, not just for the information notice, but just for the current inquiry that you might be involved in or, or anything beyond that, really. So the, the, the 
the sort of wider the communication lines are, the, the more you're you're likely to get something back, if you sort of mean. And if someone is going to come to a lawyer, what kinds of material should they think about collating to make the process of getting that lawyer up to speed as easy as possible? One thing would be obviously a copy of the information notice you've received, any previous uh, correspondence you've had with HMRC, all of the documents that you've received from HMRC to date, basically, uh, anything you've sent to HMRC, any telephone calls you've had with them, any attendance notes of those calls, any meetings you've had with them. The lawyer's going to want to know everything that's been said between you and HMRC. They're probably going to want some steer over whether the documents or information they've requested is reasonably required to look into either your tax position or a third party, if it is indeed a third party. If after those discussions, the documents are reasonably required, then you're probably going to need to go off and and find those documents wherever they are, collate them, review them, get them together, find a way of getting them over to your lawyer, whether it's an electronic or hard copy form. And all of that needs to be done quite quickly. So you've mentioned that these information notices can also be uh, served on third parties. What are we talking about about third parties? And maybe you can just expand on that a bit. Yes, happy to. So the information notices, in addition to being sent to businesses and individuals, they can also be sent to third parties who request information or documents that are reasonably required for checking the tax position of a known person. Third party notices. So just for example, quite often HMRC will issue a third party notice to banks in order to get copies of their bank statements for their customers, things like that. But the key difference with a third-party notice is that it does have to have judicial approval before it can be um, sent to a third party unless the uh, taxpayer consents to the issue of the notice. So HMRC have to go to the tribunal to get the third-party notice approved and the tribunal would have to be satisfied that in the circumstances the HMRC officer is justified in issuing a third-party notice and basically that the information is reasonably required for checking the tax position of a known person. So what will the tribunal look at when they decide whether or not it should give permission for the notice to be issued to a third party? So the tribunal will look at a few things, one of which is, has the application been made by an authorised HMRC officer? Has the HMRC officer got reasonable grounds to issue an information notice? And then there's a few other things. Basically, a summary of the reasons has to be provided and an opportunity to make representations has to be given. A summary of any representations made has to then be given to the tribunal. In a case of a third party, the taxpayer has to have received a summary of the reasons why the officer requires the information from the third party. Now, the key thing to remember here is that the tribunal can actually disapply quite a few of those requirements and not need them if it is satisfied that taking this action might prejudice the assessment or collection of tax. So, quite often, if the tribunal decides actually, this is going to affect HMRC's ability to assess or collect tax. All the tribunal would need is the first two, which is basically, has the application been made by an HMRC officer? And does the HMRC officer have reasonable grounds for the information notice? So as you can see, a lot of the things on that list could just not be needed, depending on the circumstances. What are the circumstances in which that might happen? Um, I think it's more likely to happen in a situation where there is some sort of deliberate conduct or collusion or something or tax planning that would affect HMRC's ability to assess or collect the tax. If HMRC obtain a third party notice without prior notice to either the third party or the taxpayer, there's actually no right of appeal against the tribunal's decision to disapply any of those conditions. 
So you basically just have to have to accept the tribunal's made the right call. Of course, the, the only other recourse is judicial review again. So you also mentioned that there are circumstances in which a taxpayer can consent to a third party application. What might the reasons for a taxpayer consenting to a third party application be? So, for example, if there is some issue getting hold of a taxpayer's bank account, for whatever reason, maybe they go back a long period of time and the bank is taking a long time to do it. And the taxpayer thinks, well, actually, a notice from HMRC will get things moving quicker. You often get that situation where they'll consent to it because they've got no problem giving their bank information and it'll help HMRC swiftly conclude whatever tax is due. And actually, it just speeds up the whole process. So circumstances like that, really. It's also common if the bank intend to charge the taxpayer a large sum of money for accessing all of the bank accounts from years ago. So one way of circumventing that is for HMRC to request that information directly from the bank. So when would an information notice under Schedule 36 be used? So I've touched upon previously, most of the time HMRC are likely to issue an informal notice first to try and get the information or documents. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they go just straight to a Schedule 36 notice. But quite often, the reason they'll issue a Schedule 36 notice is because there'll be maybe they've issued an informal request and it hasn't been responded to, or maybe there's a history of non-compliance for a particular business or individual, and HMRC have reason to believe that the information will not be provided if it's requested informally, so they issue a formal notice. Or there could be, for example, HMRC might consider that an informal request will cause unreasonable delay. You know, maybe they need the information sooner than they, they think they'll get it if they issue an informal request. Perhaps, for example, if they consider that pre-approval of a taxpayer notice by the tribunal is appropriate. So, for example, as we were just talked about with third-party notices, they have to go to the tribunal and get permission unless the taxpayer consents. So that might be why they do that, because a third party is very unlikely to comply with a, an informal request because obviously they'll be potentially handing over information or documents that relates to a taxpayer. So they're probably not going to do that without a formal notice from HMRC. Another common reason is if HMRC are investigating a tax avoidance scheme and they think that a formal notice would benefit them at an early stage in order for them to get information documents quickly. So they're really the, the main reasons. In July 2018, HMRC launched a consultation on options for targeted amendments to HMRC's civil information powers, and these included possible changes to third-party notices and extending Schedule 36 to allow information to be obtained for the purposes of any HMRC tax function. And a response was expected this spring, actually, but it hasn't materialised. So watch this space. Well, thank you very much, Alexis, for taking us through what powers HMRC have in relation to gathering information. And thank you to all of our listeners for joining us. As ever, a full transcript of this episode, together with our references, can be found on our website, www.rpc.co.uk forward slash taxing matters. If you have any questions for me or Alexis, or any topics you'd like us to cover in a future episode, please do email us on taxingmatters at rpc.co.uk. We'd love to hear from you. If you liked this episode, please take a moment to rate, review and subscribe and remember to tell a colleague about us. Thank you all for listening. We'll talk to you again in two weeks.